Hello friends and welcome to Monday's edition of the Kings of Anglia podcast. It's been a while since I've been able to say that, but thankfully we're all back off short-term loans to furlough FC. No one on that particular trip this week. So I'm delighted to say that joining me, your host Mark Heath, this week for a Monday breakdown is everyone. All four of us are here, but really, as one reviewer said this week, there's only two of us that matter. It's the Watson and Warren show. The other two are pointless. And I've, I've spoken to my wife since she left that review. It's completely out of order. But let me first of all introduce those two guys, the Watson and Warren show. Andy Warren, first of all, how are you? I think some of your subliminal subliminal messaging has maybe got through to the reviewers there because you, you are big to hype up the, the two that people want to listen to, which is absolute nonsense. We're a four piece. <coughs> a I think four you've, piece. Uh, I think you've, uh, I think your messaging has, has penetrated too deep with the reviewers. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. Everyone knows who the star attractions are, and that's you. The Watson and Warren show, part two, the second man in that ship. Stuart Watson, how are you? Stuart's vanished. <laughs> Good. <laughs> is it just the Warren show now? It's now just the Warren show. Hello. Oh, there he is. Oh, I was muted. Sorry about that. <laughs> I just gave you the I just gave you the big build up, talking about how you're the main attraction and you vanished, mate. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I've just worked out where the mute button is. You thought I'd have worked that out by now. <laughs> For a man with a brain as big as yours, Stu, that's truly disappointing that um, you still struggle with the mute button. Who should it be though? First of all, I mean. We see this in boxing all the time, like with Fury Joshua. Whose name's going to be first on the poster? Is it going to be Fury v Joshua? Is it going to be Joshua v Fury? So in the Watson Warren show, whose name would be first? I think it sounds better that way round. The Watson Warren show, the Warren and Watson show. I suppose Watson and Warren does sound better, doesn't it? It flows. Um, got a good flow. So if you two are the the impressive schlong of the show, me and Roscoe are just the two balls dragging along behind you. Um, so. Uh, Roscoe, how does it feel to be a testicle? I've been called worse. <laughs> I bet you have. By the yeah. missus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by the missus, definitely. Yeah. yeah you've certainly that. you've certainly got the facial hair to to accompany a testicle. Um <laughs> how are you, old friend? I'm good. Yeah. Been a, been a good weekend. Just had some pancakes this morning, so I'm raring Ameri- to go. American style or crepes? Yeah. yeah, yeah. American style with blueberries. Nice. Ma- maple syrup. syrup. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. Have have we all tried maple syrup pancakes with bacon? Yeah, I'm not into it. What? I don't Bacon's overrated. It is overrated, but it goes very well. I mean, I I'd always go sausage if you're asking on a, on a pork product, but um bacon maple syrup pancakes wonderful. Hutchie, I'm going to file this away under another one of your unpopular opinions along with Queen and various other things that you've you've broken the news on this show. There's still Still quite a lot. Of I, I draw that. I draw the line here. I had an element of sympathy with with Queen. Yeah, I wouldn't go as uh, uh, my level of uh, not hatred, but my level of sort of <laughs> disappointment in Queen. Well, it, it's not to the level of Andy's, but I'm a bit ambivalent towards them. But bacon is overrated. I draw the line there, my friend. I think it is. I'll, look, ignore the maple syrup argument. I can see that. It's a good, it's a decent combo, but I, I just think bacon's overhyped a little bit. I'm with Mark, sausage all the way. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, I think the sausage, the the sausage is underrated in that in that regard. I think the bacon gets too much hype uh, for what it for what it is. It's just 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 my opinion. Bacon has got too big for its boots. I think traditionally everyone talks about all oh, the smell of bacon and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'm I'm with you, Hutchie. Always going sausage in a pork product. Um, I'm trying to think furiously of a segue from this pork-based conversation into the Oxford game at the weekend, but I can't think of one, so I'm just going to clumsily stumble into the nil-nil at Oxford or against Oxford at the weekend, boys. That is why we're here, to talk about football, not pork. Um, so let's do that now. It was and another... <laughs> and testicles, yeah. We we know testicles often feature on the uh, the KOA show. Um, boys, it was another nil-nil to end what has been a, a tremendously entertaining and captivating soap opera style week at, at Ipswich Town. Um, a tale of two nil-nils. Obviously, the nil-nil against Northampton was miserable. One of the worst games that all of us had ever had the misfortune to witness. 
Um, but the nil-nil at the weekend was was slightly different, boys. It was an uplifting nil-nil if we can if we can have one of those things, and if a nil-nil against Oxford can indeed be seen as positive and and progress. So let's start, boys. First of all, with the team, I spoke to you on on Friday, Stewie, and you said you'd had a little inkling about the team, and you said if that is if what I'm hearing about the team is correct, um, it's going to be controversial, and indeed what you heard was correct uh, because <laughs> it was an interesting team that you put out, Stu. Yeah, certainly was. Seven changes. Um, both centre-halves changed. The other two out of the squad completely. Um, Bennett's another one straight into the team, along with, with Wilson and Enciala, all of whom have had injuries. Um, so it raised a few eyebrows when it came out. But to a point, it worked. I know we're talking about positives. Let's not go overboard. It's a nil-nil home draw. Um and when we say a much improved performance, we have to recognise that that is set against the own pretty low bar that was was set in midweek and previously to that. Um, but it was a it was a better performance, and it was a game that Ipswich could and should have won. Ultimately, um, we've talked before about how they have a lot of slow, ponderous possession, and it doesn't lead to chances. Well, they had chances in this game. They moved the ball quicker. I thought they were they were more energetic. They got on. They got on second balls quicker. They had chances. This was just a case of of not taking them when they came along. Two good chances in both halves, um, which weren't taken. Again, they they could and should have won. Hotchie, what did you make of the team selection? But particularly for me at the moment, it's always more interesting is is the back four. What he does with the back four, all chopping and changing there, and to completely drop Wolf and Dan McGuinness out of the squad. And then bring in Wilson and Toto. I don't think Wilson had played for was it October the last time he played something like that. Um, they came in. And did a good job. Wilson, indeed, was was man of the match by consensus. What, what did you make of the, the team? I wouldn't use the word controversial at all. I think it's getting close to the team. I'd I'd have picked all all things being equal. Um, I've been on the James Wilson bandwagon for a while. I like him. I think he's. We say the same every time. He's 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 a League One defender, and he's good at what he does. He's. He's simple, effective, no nonsense. Knows his weaknesses, tries to hide them, plays to his strengths quicker than what he what he looks. And the the, the back the centre back pairing of Wilson and, and Nciala is the two that they've had their best results with this season mm. at the start of the start of the season. Obviously, Toto has his has his issues at times. Uh, he managed to hide those at the weekend. He wasn't over committing, wasn't jumping into things, was measured in what he does. And I think the two of them help in moving the ball quicker as well because I think the slow ponderous possession comes from and it's not necessarily on these these two young centre-backs they're not the reason why but they try and use the attributes that they've got of knocking the ball around and, and slowly building it from the back into midfield but with Wilson and, and Ciala it it wasn't long ball by any means but it was more direct and it was quicker and I think a lot of that stems from from the ball coming from defence to midfield quicker um on the team, I, I was all I was all for it really. Um, Ipswich have struggled with with wide players really to get them to have the impact that they need. Bennett's maybe obviously undercooked, hasn't played since the middle of December, but they needed to try something else there because it's not been happening for Sears. And Luke Thomas has got an injury, and Edwards has been out, so bring him in. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I was being, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I was I was more confident of that team winning this game than I would have been had had the Northampton side been fielded. Hmm. Well, I want to ask you all to, to give me your, your first choice team later on because um, there's been a lot of chopping and changing different options around now, clearly, since we last had that chat. I think that'll be interesting. But Rossi, you were pitch side and for the first time uh, in a long time, feels like all season, there was actually sun. Oh, It was nice and warm um, and it was a much improved display. Yes, it's um, anything could have been better than Northampton's game, uh, the game against Northampton, because Jesus Christ, that's bad. But um, we've covered that already. Um, yeah, sun was out. Bangers were getting played before the game. Um, they're, they're improving. I've seen that Andy's put in his Sunday snap, the playlist, and different songs that are you know bursting out. And when you've got a bit of music, got a bit of sunshine, about to get ready to watch a bit of football, you know it's getting to spring and uh, summertime is not too far away. Um but yeah, it was a, a better game to watch than Tuesday night because, yeah, <laughs> theory B. Couldn't have been worse. Perhaps, perhaps 
Town's problem is that all the players suffer from SADS, seasonal affective disorder. <laughs> and as soon as the sun's out, they start to play better. Maybe that could be the case. Sun's out, about guns it. out. Exactly. They started really well the season before last. That would have been in good weather. Then it all went tits up when the uh, when it started getting cold and dark. Maybe that's it. Maybe I found it, boys. Um, <laughs> Stewie, a tale of two nil-nils. Obviously, Tuesday night was terrible. Saturday was was much improved. What for you was, were the key reasons for that improvement? I think James Norwood would be right up the, the top of that list for me. I think he completely changes the dynamic of the attack. I think he's got that physicality and just a bit of competitive edge about him that that others perhaps haven't had in that, that number 10 role. He, he doesn't always win those direct balls, but he occupies centre-half. He ruffles a few feathers. He creates a bit of chaos up the, up the top end, which creates those loose second balls, which enables others to get on to. Um, so I'd put him in there. Um, was slightly worried that the central midfield without Downs was was looking a little bit lightweight with, with Dezel and Bishop um, as the kind of two outright central midfielders, but that didn't prove to be the case. I thought they, they, they were energetic and they worked hard. Um, and just two, as we go back to the centre-half, just two no-nonsense League One centre-halves who did do play to their strengths. And sometimes at this level, that is probably what you need. Um, so they did that. Kenlock had another neat and tidy game at left-back. Um, Parrot, obviously, they, they tried him a little bit deeper as the number 10. I think, although it was a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3, whatever you want to call it, I think Parrot's instincts as a striker are to get close to Norwood rather than being a judge or a bishop type, who when you play them as a number 10, their instinct is to link with the players behind them. Parrot's instinct is to link with the, the play in front of him, and I think that helped as well. So, positives, yes, from the game, but go right back to the start. The, the bar had been set pretty low. Um, it's it's nil-nil at home against Oxford, but... Credit where it's due. I mean, we we've, we got stuck into him last week about it being the context of it being a poor performance against a, a really out-of-form Northampton side that was struggling for goals. This was a better performance against the division's most informed side, a team that were on a real roll in Oxford um, United. So, yeah, we, we have to give them praise where it's due. It's a step in the di right direction, but when, I'm loath to go overboard because we've been here before. We've been here before recently with the Blackpool game where probably said lots of very similar things after that Blackpool game, and it's always one step forward, two steps back. Um, so, once again, let's see how they back it up. Yeah. Um, Hutchie, I want to talk to you a bit about James Norwood, but fir firstly, in a peek behind the curtain style, you, you discovered the secret to Miles Kenlock's resurgence diet-wise at the weekend. You saw him eating, carving up, shall we say, before the game. What was What's the key to, to Miles' success on the pitch? So, went to meet Stu in the middle of the car park out at the back, the big Portman Road car park out the back of AXA. And this, this hooded figure is kind of walking across the car park um, wearing a big Ipswich Town bench coat. Uh, and it was Miles Kenlock, who I believe lives in the town centre somewhere. This was about half past half past one, um, just idling over. And I'm pretty convinced he was eating Watsits. Um, so so there you go. Uh, and Stu's right, he did have another decent game. He's he's growing in confidence, I think. He's um he had a few moments in the second half where he started losing losing his man a little bit um as the game went on, but he recovered well enough. But he's he's kind of He's he's coming inside. He had a few balls that he sprayed out from the left to the right. Um, maybe the Watsits are working for him because he seems to be growing in confidence as these games go on. He's never really had consistent runs in the side. He, he played a lot under Lambert in the championship at the end of that season. But I, I'm glad to see he's getting a consistent go of things because that's... Um, that's when the Watsits really make a difference. <laughs> when, 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 when it's kind of consistent, Absolutely. consistent things. I'm pretty sure they were Watsits. They were. They looked. It, they looked it. And all you all you'd need to do, obviously, is just check it. Check his hands. Yeah. Because because what you can't eat Watsits without just having mazy, corny orange residue on your fingers. So 
you have to wash that off as soon as you get into the ground or, or lick them or lick them clean, whichever. <laughs> there you go then. Cheese-based carb snack is, is the key to Kenlock's success. Now he's getting to play. That reminds me, Stu, uh, years ago when we did the Three Peaks um, and beforehand we were convinced, or I was especially convinced, that nutrition was going to be the key. We stayed up all sorts of hours cooking up pasta and chicken and getting protein bars and protein shakes only to completely abandon it after the first peak, Ben Nevis, and basically just get stuck into whatever we could eat. I reckon Watsits might have been good fuel for that, Stu. Yes, agreed. Yeah, just just uh, when you're burning off that amount of uh, calories, just eat what you want. We've said right. before, like quite often at away games, they just get dominoes ordered in for the team coach on the way home. you got that 20-minute window, I think, afterwards, haven't you, where you can mm. pretty much eat what you like. Yeah, yeah. James Norwood takes ready meals. Has has previously we've seen got pictures of him taking a little microwave meal into games, haven't we? Before matches, each to their own. They all know their bodies, don't they? Just um, I'd, lo- I'd love which, to know. Which did make me laugh with the Shrewsbury postponement because it was like we can't play the next day because our nutrition is key to preparation, and we we can't get the proper meals and stuff done. And then we've we've just been discussing watsits and ready meals in in the previous segment. I'd love to know what Norwood's nutrition plan is like. Um, talk a little bit about Norwood, though, Hutchie, because you are a fully paid up member of the James Norwood fan club. Um, and you've often spoken on here about just how different a team town look when he's he's playing. What what for you are, are the key qualities he brings to the team? Devilment, isn't it? And yeah. the dark arts. Yeah, it's, um, the referee doesn't always buy the dark arts. He, he, he loves his little collapse under... Under pressure when a, a defender's trying to win the header over him, he, did, he the referee wasn't having that at the weekend. He didn't didn't get the free kicks he was after. But it's like Stu said earlier, it's just contesting things. He plays off the cuff. Some he's more likely to make something happen, kind of out of nothing, than than the other striking options. Which are with respect to the likes of kind of Hawkins, Drynan, they're kind of like system system players who who are kind of there. To, to play the system and they have their qualities to do that. But Norwood, Norwood's off the cuff. He, he's a threat. He's a pest. He might not always do things conventionally, but if you're too conventional, the defender knows what you're going to do. Um, I'd, I'd imagine that defenders don't enjoy playing against him for all, all sorts of reasons. I'm sure he's vocal on, on the pitch. I'm sure he leaves little feet in little, uh, little shoulders in where defenders don't want them left. And, Without being, he's not, you know, we're not talking about rapid, rapid running here, but he's also, he's also kind of a pest physically as well in terms of his, in terms of his movement. He's a, he's a clever footballer. Um, whilst also, if you can be clever, if you, can you be clever and also not know what you're going to do next? Is that, is that, that's called, that's called football IQ, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And that, that's what I like about him. He's, the, the goals aren't coming as freely as we, we all hoped that they would do for him. Um, but it does seem like he's pushing up there in the minutes now. And, and it's, he played 81 minutes at the weekend, having previously been restricted to 45 and, and 60 mm. prior to that. And having him available is just, it's just a threat that just, that's not been there. He's He's so important to this team. And if they can get... If they can get him firing, he's their route to the playoffs now. If if they if they can if they can do that, they have a mm. chance, in my opinion. If they... here's, here's the problem, and because I agree with you, but I just is he going to start on Tuesday now? Because the last time he started Saturday Tuesday was the whole Charlton double header, and uh, he limped off thirty five minutes into the second game of that with a hamstring injury. So. We're talking about players being in the red zone, I imagine. <laughs> Having seen his performances of late, they'll be desperate to play him. And it's now, is it is it going to be a, a management and the staff under pressure to get results that go against, you know, that will take the risk with him now? And could it be a risk that backfires tomorrow night? I'm skipping ahead to the whole preview section here, but um, I, I would worry about that with James because he was certainly looking a little leggy towards the end of that game. I think uh, they probably pushed yeah. 10, 15 minutes yeah, out absolutely. of him more than, than was needed. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, we we turned to each other at one point. I think it was like early 70 minutes and he, he was done, wasn't he? In terms of in terms of his physical side of things. But he's just he's just a threat. So I I think 
I think he probably will. I think he probably will start tomorrow. We spoke to Matt Gill this morning, who said that he thinks that Norwood's capable of playing 90, but did did admit that they're managing certain players carefully at the minute. And he's he's going to be at the top of that list, isn't he? Hmm. Got to play him, surely. We'll talk about this later on, but I would think if he's that important to the side, we've got to start him. Um, Rossi, by way of finishing us off in this chat about the game, <clears throat> kind of shows, I guess, what kind of situation we're in with, with Ipswich Town when we talk about a nil-nil home draw with Oxford being positive. Um, but it is what it is, to use a cliche. Just just finishes off with, with something that impressed you from, from the weekend. We've talked about Norwood. We've talked about your buddy Miles playing decent again. Has anyone else stood out for you at the weekend? Um, Bennett's has Bennett's has got has got quality and he does like to try to take on a player but I think he sometimes commits too much and sometimes tries too much when he could do an easy pass I know there's a few times where Judge was just shouting definitely and also at Dazelle like go wide go out wide when they decided to do a, a harder route to, to goal when mm. Judge was basically free out wide and you know he's ready to take the pass um yeah, you know, Norwood was his normal self, hustling and bustling up front. I think Parrot, he, he's got quality there, but he's just, he wastes the ball too much for me. Um, I'm getting very deep here. It's not normally like me, but um, these, sort of things, these sort of things bugged me in the game. And there's one thing as well, Oxford, one thing that bugged me about Oxford, they were trying to do what Town tried to do, is pass around the back. And I swear there was, it felt like a lifetime they were had the ball around the back. And I was just, in my head, I was just like, just hoof the ball up. I hate that sort of football, but when it's not working for you, if you're not going to get up the field, just just boot up the field and hope for the best. Because it felt like a lifetime, one part of the game where they just had the ball for so long, like they're not going anywhere with it. Like well done for Town to keep putting pressure on, but just ah, oh, just that's that sort of football. Sometimes if you're not able to do that, if you haven't got players to do that, then don't bother doing it. But anyway, that's um, my rant over about that. That that just one thing that bugged me in the game at that one point. But um, overall, it, it was a better performance, but uh, not getting too carried away because it was no. a goalless draw. Just um, in terms of, uh, we talked about Wilson and Antiala um, being the, the centre-back pairing that have, I guess, have been there for, for Town's kind of best performances so far this season. What are they like pitch side? I mean, are they are they vocal? I'd imagine that, that James Wilson, we talked about him being a League One defender. Is he uh, a shouter and a screamer? Is he a kind of lead-by-example sort of centre-back? Not really. I didn't, I didn't, to be fair, I didn't hear much... I don't know if you guys, and I know I'm closer to the pitch than you know you, uh, Stu and Andy, but I didn't really. There wasn't that much vocal from anybody really. Like Chambers had moments in the game, um, and I said about Judge screaming at Dazel and stuff like that about going wide. Um, I think Wilson and Soto, they are like lead by example, but they don't. I don't think they shout at people. They're more just like, you know, cover me if you need be and stuff like that. But it's not like proper shouting where you, you know you hear from other defenders. Mm. It's more shouting at the ref or the lines that are line, linesman about a bad decision or how many minutes we got left in this half. But overall, they're not that vocal, but maybe I'm not paying attention enough about what they're <laughs> doing. Maybe I don't know. Someone who is definitely vocal, boys, when he when he decides to speak to us or turn up for a press conference is Paul Lambert. See that segue? That's what I do, baby. Um, let's talk, first of all, about Paul Lambert pre-game, Stewie, on Friday, um, because he... He obviously does the press conference Friday morning. You speak to him via Zoom. Um, and you, it was the first time you'd really had a chance to speak to him since he made all those comments about the structure being totally wrong at the football club. Um, and then subsequently went on Talk Sport and had um, smoke blown off his backside by his mate Jim White. Um, and you tried to, to pin him down a little bit and, and get some more detail on that. Just talk a little bit about your chat with, with Paul on Friday before we get to post-game. Yeah, didn't really get anywhere. I think if you put the audio out on... On Twitter on Friday, I just felt that there needed to be some more clarity on, first of all, the, the Nolan Jackson accusations. I felt that was unfair that he was talking in quite generic terms about when a player tells you they'd rather be with their wife and kids and not play, etc., etc., but then wouldn't wouldn't clarify which player he was talking about. We know it was John Nolan. We've, we've done a follow-up story to say that that was the case I, I felt a little bit sorry that I think most people will be aware that Caden Jackson's a, a dad because he puts plenty of pictures out on his social media people probably didn't know that John Nolan's a dad to a I think six-month-old baby so 
I thought it was wrong of him to kind of want to just make generic claims about players letting him down, but then not really going into any details. If you want to put that in the public domain, I think he should have should have followed that up. But he shut that line of questioning down. Uh, and then subsequently moved on to talking about the structure of things. Now, I, th- I think probably the way I worded the question in terms of I've spoken to people at the club this week and they're wondering whether you mean them, Paul, probably triggered him. Um, in hindsight, maybe that wasn't the best way to word the question, but I'm still not convinced had I worded it any differently, I'd have suddenly got this fulsome answer about the structure of sports science and Leo Neal's duties and etc, etc. So that got a pretty sort of flippant response. And um, again, he was asked about it by a national journalist at the weekend and just said, yeah, I, I know about structure, but that's between me and Marcus. So it, to me, I just don't think you can chuck out such a bombshell that the whole club is wrong and the structure is completely broken, but then not want to follow it up. When is the right time to talk about it, Paul? You've started this narrative, mm. but you're now not willing to engage in a discussion around it. It wasn't, it wasn't the right time because the time was to talk about the Oxford game pre-match. It then wasn't the right time afterwards just because, you know, it's you can't say things like that and then not want to discuss them further. Mm. And then, Hutchie, you spoke to him, obviously, um, post-game Saturday. How was his mood post-game? Um, very straight, very bizarre. Um, from Almost from, from the start of it with, with Brenner from Radio Suffolk, because like laugh, laughing and joking about, uh-huh, yeah, but I think Brenner asked him about... Um, trying to hit James Norwood a little bit earlier and playing a little bit more direct. And then he was like, huh, yeah, you just want long ball back, don't you? Hoof it and boot it. And I was trying to have a joke. And then Brenner asked about the number of changes that were made. And then he was laughing and joking again. Ha ha. Yeah. I followed your advice and changed them all. Ha ha. And then things like that. It's just, it, it, it's strange. Um, I then asked him about, I think he, he volunteered himself that he was due to, speak to Marcus about these comments regarding the structure. So, um, but then there was a, a national report on Friday night that said that that had been brought forward from next week and was in fact held on Friday. So I, I asked him, I asked him about that and he kind of laughed his way through that as well with a few sort of muttered swear words and the old <coughs> cough <laughs> along, along the way as well. And it was, it was just, it was just unusual um just the mood the mood swing just felt a bit unusual um i don't really know what to say about it to be honest it's just i don't know is it a man a man who's been given a bit of backing and is feeling emboldened and a bit more strong in his his position is he is it a way of trying to hide the fact he's actually feeling the pressure and is concerned for his future i, I don't know but it's a it's hard to hard to read him. Mm. Who I think it was in your, on the game day extra time pod, Ross. You can confirm this that one of the guys speculated, opined that the number of times that Paul Lambert makes reference in every interview to previously having played for big clubs um, it is almost like it's a it's it's a bet now to see how much he can he can get that in because it comes up pretty much every interview. Can you remember who did that? Who said that? Oh, um, it could be good old John Watson. Or it could be Darren who made his debut. Ah, okay. Why I could be wrong though? Why is John? Why is John good old and Darren's not? Uh, you have to do a few shows. Yeah, you have to do a few shows, and I've already <laughs> used good old once in one sentence, so I thought okay. I won't use it again. I want a ranking, um, please. I want to know when you've earned good old and when you've earned my friend. Um, that's important. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stu, just going back to to Lambert. Um, and, and this Evans chat, do, are we um, expect? I mean, obviously he said that it's going to happen this week. Do we know any more about that? Was Evans there at the weekend? Was he around? Not that I'm aware of, Ross. You you would have been, had your camera trained on the usual director's box. Was he? Did you see him there this no. week, on Saturday? I know he wasn't there for the Northampton game. No, he wasn't. Um, Leo Neal's not even in his box anymore. He's basically sat with you know all the other you know scouts and with Brian Klug and Kieran Dar and all that in the you know direct- directors' seating. But yeah, um, so yeah, another game he's not there. So interesting. Interesting. Yeah. 
Go on, mate. No, I was just going to say, I was going to ask Hutchie because he wasn't around. He was on short-term loan at Furlough FC last week. They didn't get a chance to talk to him about the the, the, um, the Nolan and, and Jackson situation, which um, is pretty remarkable uh, to have two senior players kind of exiled like that and, and made to train with the kids, essentially. And mm. and then, we're, obviously, we're we're understanding that they're pretty fuming about it. What's your thoughts on that whole situation? It can't be good. For, I know Teddy Bishop came out on Friday and said everyone's behind the manager and, and you asked, um, or Stewie asked James Wilson about it after the game and he said it's nothing to do with us. But that's, that is not a good sign, is it? When you've got two players like that um, exiled and then, as you say, we 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 understand that they're fuming about it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's not healthy, but this, is, this isn't the first time that, that Paul Lambert's had those kind of divisions within... Within his squads, there's a, a quite infamous bomb squad group. Um, when he was Aston Villa manager, I think Shay Given was in that. Darren Bent, Stephen Island, uh, a few more. Uh, I think there were six of them at one point in that. That actually down the road, Paul actually just brought them all back in um, one weekend, all at once, which which baffled a, a few people. But there was a time during the game at the weekend where, where Stu and I said to each other that this would be. Uh, with James Norwood kind of blowing on 72, 73 minutes, what an ideal moment this would be with the greatest of respect, Mark, rather than turning to Aaron Drynan. Um, had Caden been available, would have been the perfect the perfect piece to put on the, the field to try and stretch Oxford during those final few minutes. Um, I can see why the players are fuming. Um, it's, it's, as if, it's as if like Stu and I you just dropped us and said we couldn't even come on the podcast anymore. And we would be fuming, absolutely fuming. Well, we know we know that can't happen because it's the Watson Warren show. I don't think Heath and Hall's show would have quite the same appeal. I'd like, I'd like it, <clears throat> but no, it's not. It's not good. I hope it gets rectified because I think both of them have got a part to play um, if they if switch are going to get anywhere near the playoffs, and it's particularly worrying given that over the over the piece over the two and a half years that Paul has been here those two players have been pretty much pretty much like regulars really um obviously Jack they've both had their injury worries but there was a time where you'd probably say that that Nolan was a a Lambert favorite in Mm -hmm. in terms of selection and obviously Caden last season joint top of the scoring charts and, and plenty of assists as well so to to have those two simply not available for selection, and then not again tomorrow night. We did check that this morning that they've not they've not suddenly come back into the reckoning. Nolan was arguably their player of the month at the start of the season yeah. when they got off to a flying start. Was getting goals from from midfield, and now you look at the options again tomorrow night. Downs is still suspended. Um, can Teddy Bishop go again? Um, it's been a while since. You know, he's never been one that's been churning out Saturday, Tuesday games. He was getting there earlier in the season before that ankle injury. Emma Hughes seems to be well out of the picture at the moment. So again, you're kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face with John Nolan at the minute. I'm not going overboard about either him or Jackson being having been well beaters or in form or anything like that. But they'd be useful assets to the squad at this moment in time. Um, so... Yeah, they'll have to. They'll have to probably shuffle the pack. Hmm. We'll, we'll come to that shortly. Let's talk about Marcus Evans, though, boys. We, we touched briefly there on, on Marcus not being around. There is a rumour which we have to address going round, which would perhaps explain why there's been such inactivity on on Paul Lambert in terms of not pulling the trigger or indeed really saying anything. Um, <clears throat> there's a rumour doing the rounds that that's because Marcus Evans is in the process of selling the club to um, an American pension fund, hedge fund, um, no names as yet. Um, £40 million is said to be the price. uh, And he doesn't want to sack Lambert because it's unnecessary cost for him if he's about to sell the club. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Stu? I mean, parts of it, that would certainly be part explanation, wouldn't it, in terms of the inactivity on Lambert? Uh, I can do. It's... um... Obviously, they're, they're rumours that have made it into the public domain over the weekend um, via social media. What can we say? They're not rumours that we weren't aware of before that. I would say our threshold for being able to report on said things are far, far higher than anyone else. If we if we 
chucked out a tweet or a forum post on every little thing that we hear. Goodness me, we'd have something every day. I mean, there was a load of stuff surrounding Mike Ashley going back to the, the first lockdown. Rumours of takeovers have swirled around for a long time at Ipswich Town. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that Marcus Evans has been losing hand over money hand over fist for, for some time at Ipswich, the club going nowhere. Um, so they would be among a list now. You look at the number of takeovers that have happened in recent years, Ipswich have now got to be right up there in terms of the clubs that are left that are available to buy for anyone that would wish to buy them. Um, I'm not saying that there's no smoke without fire here. There might be. We need to do a lot more investigation into this. Mm. But there also, there is very much a possibility that this could be Chinese whispers, that so-and-so tells so-and-so, and, and it and it might be a little bit of a case of people just desperately wanting to believe it's, it's true. Um, that's where we're at at the moment. We need to find out more. Um, Andy's done a little bit more more digging than I have. I just don't know if we're in a position to kind of talk to. It feels like I want to. We want to come to people with the full story when we've got it, rather than part bits and pieces of of the story. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just very much stressing they are just rumours, but I think it's important that we talk about them because it is out there. People are talking about it. I mean, Terry Hunt wrote about it in his column this morning uh, and we have been doing some digging this kind of thing is, is really hard obviously to stand up without names and specifics um Hutchie, is there anything you want you want to say about it you know what i think i think Stu's covered where we're at pretty well on it it's something we're certainly looking into um thank you to the probably 20 or 30 people who have kind of sent the what is amounted to plenty of chinese whispers my way over over the weekend it's clearly being talked about quite heavily but there are some there and there are some common elements running through all these different versions of events on social media so i i, I do think there's a the potential that kind of the collective chinese whispers has kind of built a story mm. um a story that that is maybe a bit a bit further than something that there actually is but as Stu said it is it's certainly not one that we're we're not we're not sitting here now and saying this isn't happening or dismissing it, but it needs an awful lot more, an awful uh, lot more work, doesn't it? Ultimately, as much as Ipswich is a a tight knit community town football club where everyone internally and externally word seems to spread quite quickly, the only person who will know, and it will be a very small circle of people around him, will be Marcus Evans, and and probably a handful of people around him, and that will be kept pretty carefully guarded so um we'll see i mean Mark, just to kind of reiterate what marcus has always said is that if the right person came along then he would he would listen if he felt someone came along that could take the club forwards could invest more than he does over a prolonged period of time not someone he wants to do the right thing by the club in terms of not someone that would come along chuck money at it for a year and then leave it in a right mess once that doesn't pay off, which has happened at a lot of other clubs, they would have to be credible. And there has been plenty of interest in buying Ipswich Town in recent years. But in Marcus's eyes, that interest hasn't been credible. I still wonder, and he dismissed this when I spoke to him in an interview a little while back, whether the sort of investor route is something that he would go down, someone that could come in and bring a bit of injection of money i think he's he's wary about that because it then becomes quite messy in terms of how do you it's not one man in charge anymore how do you then split money further down the line in terms of what he's put into it so far etc etc but i don't think i still don't get the feeling when i speak to people that he'll want to sell this club in league one at its lowest ebb i think he'd feel like he'd be giving the club away and having put so much time and money into this club, I just don't think he's at the point where he's ready to wipe his nose and walk away. I still think his primary focus is to get them back in the championship and then cross that bridge when you get to it. There might be a realisation there then, OK, I can't, I can't make this club competitive at the top end of this league and that now maybe is the time. But right now, it doesn't feel like it to me. I might be wrong. Mm. 
time will tell. I think it's important that we talk about it though, because it is out there and obviously that's what this podcast is about. So we're going to do some more digging on that. And if we get any, anything, we'll bring it to you as soon as we can. Boys, I want to talk now, moving on from Marcus Evans to team selection. We talked earlier about all the changes that Lambert made at the weekend. Um, and I think it, it would be interesting for people to hear what your starting 11s would be. Um, all things being equal, everyone's fit. Obviously, there's, there's a few more options since we last talked about this. We've got the the curveballs of Wilson and NCR coming straight back into the side. Um, so I want to start with you, Roscoe, just because you've been silent for a while. What what would be your starting Ipswich Town eleven? Uh, holy and goal. Mm-hmm. Off we go, as as you need to. Um, I'm going to be controversial here. Um, Chambers is not even in my back four. Um, I'm sort of putting him. He can be on the bench if he wants. Um, if he Matt, wants, yeah, if he wants. Don't Matt's don't leave it up to him. Yeah, you, <laughs> you you should make you should make the decision here, Gaffer. Is he on the bench or not? No. <laughs> there you go then. <laughs> Chambers is dropped completely. He's he's bombed yeah. out the squad. Right, he's bombed the squad. No, yeah, no, it's, it's fine. He, he can be he can be he can be in the stands and chill out if he wants. Um, Matheson right back then. Uh, Wolfie and Wilson. Um, so you got, I think, I think Will, Wolfie, you know, in recent form has not been great, but he is one of our best defenders at the club. So there, Wilson, as, as um, you know, Andy said, I like Wilson as well. I think he's a solid League One defender. Um, good old Mars Kenlock. You're, playing, you, you're, you're starting Kenlock. Because this is I'm a re- this is a real turn up for the books, boys. This is this is a surprise indeed. So there's, there's no other op- options like Stephen Ward. For my opinion, in my opinion, he's he's done now. He's 35. He's he had a nice little few months, but now he's he's gone. See you later. Ward's career's <laughs> over. There you go. Yeah. You heard it here first. Yeah. Okay. So um, that's your back, that's your back four. What are you doing? What are you doing further forward? Now I'm playing. I'm, I'm playing four through three. Um, gonna stick to Lambert's formation. Um. I'm going to have Downs in the anchor role, or Downs and um, Downs and Zell in that sort of that that two. Mm-hmm. Judge in the number ten because he's not a winger. <laughs> Alan Judge in the ten, and then Bennett's and Edwards out wide. Got to have my boy Guion there, obviously, and then of course James Norwood up front. Okay, um, just talk a little bit about Wilson and Wolfenden. The thinking for that, we've often talked about Wolfenden perhaps benefiting from playing alongside a more kind of senior defender. Is that your thinking there or just you, yeah, you like James much. Wilson? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I feel, you know, Wolfie will do the nice, neat passes and stuff like that. And then Wilson will just win the headers. Wolfie will do that as well. But I feel like, yeah, I think they're, they're both balanced out really well. And um, I feel, I feel like Toto has missed out here, but I do fear that, you know, he can see penalties here and there. So he's not in my team, but he's on the bench. So, so, yeah. so just there's there's two loanees in that team, isn't it? You say Matheson and Bennett's, yeah, would be in the team, and the others would would miss out. Um, Hutchie, when I when I mentioned this pre-pod, you immediately started scribbling and looked very involved in what you were thinking about. So I'm looking forward to this. What would your starting eleven be? Uh, exactly the same as Ross's, but with Chambers instead of Matheson at right back. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I've got some. I've got three question marks on this sheet next to. Yeah. Next to the players, uh, not entirely sold by Thomas Holy, but having also not seen enough of Cornell to put him ahead of him, so we'll go with we'll go with Cornell. I've got a big question mark in the number ten, but I have got Judge in there, um, and then probably the biggest question mark is on the right wing, which is Keenan Bennett's slot. I don't think they've got. I think this is where they've been lacking. Uh, all season, if I'm completely honest. It's, if you look at Hull, who Ipswich are playing tomorrow night, Tuesday night, they've got Malik Wilkes playing in a wide forward role on 14 goals for this season. Whereas Guion Edwards is still Ipswich Town's top scorer on five and he hasn't, sco- and he hasn't scored since October the 17th. Um, if this system is going to be successful, you need the goals from the wings. I don't think Bennett's is necessarily the answer to that but I also don't think Freddie Sears and or Luke Thomas are either so mm. Bennett's on the Bennett's has, has forced his way in on the strength of uh one decent performance at the weekend but that's my biggest question mark on this team but other than that it's the same as Ross 
But, Chamb- what, but Chambers at right back. What's the thinking then, Chambers over Matheson? Um, I thought Matheson was. He played. He played well against Blackpool, but he was completely. He he looked schooled against Northampton on Tuesday night. Um, I think. I think Chambers has been absolutely fine in that position. I think he's picked a bits far too readily by by people. Um, look, he's thirty five. He's not a flying right back, but he's he's absolutely fine. And uh, in League One, if your defence is absolutely fine, um, you're going to be absolutely fine. And uh, so I'm I'm happy with that. I'll just need to find a way of getting more goal goals out of the out of the seven the six players in front of that back four. That's and, that's the issue for me, not the defence. And you're agreeing with Ross there as well that that Ward is toast. Kenlock should be the starter at left back. Yeah, I, I yeah, I can't, I can't. I think Kenlock's an upgrade on on the Stephen Ward that we've seen since since the middle of October. Um, so yeah, okay, interesting. No Teddy Bishop in either of your sides either. Stewie, does Teddy make it into your side? What's your starting eleven going to be? Um. Holy and Girl, Kenlock, I, I want to see a, a run in the team now. For him, I, I agree. I think Ward's legs look like they've they've gone recently. There'll be games where they can dip him in, him in for, but I want to see Kenlock given a bit of a run now. Um, Wilson is a definite for me for the reasons that we've discussed. This is where it gets interesting, that sort of other part of the defence. I think I'd go Chambers centre-half and Matheson at right-back, you know, because... Wolfenden has been probably the biggest disappointment so far in terms of expectations against what he's, he's delivered. I know you'll say he's, he's homegrown and he's under contract and he needs to kind of play through that. But in the here and now, in terms of Ipswich just needing to get the job done and get results done, I, I think that's what I would go with as, as the back four so that you've got a bit more energy at fullback. I, I still want Chambers in my team. That's what I would do with the back four. Um, Dazelle and Downs are, are definites in midfield. Edwards is a definite out on, on the left. That's where his, his best position and his biggest threat comes from. Norwood up front is a definite. So they're they're all big ticks. And then, again, it's this kind of number 10 right wing conundrum that we've been discussing. Alan Judge isn't a winger, I agree. But again, needs must. I think they're a better team when he's been in that side. I think that's perhaps been underestimated. I think you miss him when he's not in there. So I think reluctantly I'd be playing him wide right and then it's a real toss-up between Troy Parrott, Josh Harrop, who we've not really seen a lot of so far. He could make a real difference. We've not really seen enough to kind of make our decision on him. Teddy Bishop in there as well. There's options for that number 10 role. Um, Based on what I've seen so far, probably Troy Parrott. And then it almost becomes a four-four-two at times. Okay, interesting. So all three of you have named different sides. Hutchies and and Rosses closely um, alike. Chambers aside, Chambers bombed out of Rosses' team completely, and he's in very much in in Stewie and, and Hutchie's side. So hopefully um, you found it interesting. Let us know what your side would be, your, your starting 11. Because as I say, we, we talked about this a lot, but now that it feels like there's a lot more options and a bit more chopping and changing going on. Um, particularly the back four for me is a, is a place of, of real interest at the moment. So there you go. Boys, I want to do, um, we're going to talk about Hull, but I want to bring back now, because all four of us are back for, for this week. I want to bring back an old favourite. Mark's big question. Big question, question, question. Now then, this week's big question, boys, in honour of your trip to Hull tomorrow, is uh, is very simple. What's the worst place you've ever been? Now, I'm not just talking about football. I'm talking about the worst place you've ever been. I'll let you. I'll let you think about it a little bit while I give you mine. Uh, my answer is is still embedded in my mind. Uh, very visceral experience it was. So on honeymoon in Mauritius. Um, beautiful place. We did a lot of excursions um, and we went to what they call a holy place in Mauritius, which is a, a site for pilgrimages of the Hindu faith. And they have a huge, I'm talking gigantic golden statue of the Hindu god Ganesh, which was incredible. One of those things that you kind of awe inspired by. Um, 
But while we were there, uh, I needed a number one, needed a little wee. I said to our, our taxi driver, I said, is there anywhere I can go to the toilet around here? And he pointed towards the toilets um, and off I went. And I would say probably within about 30 metres of the toilets, I, I was hit by the smell. <laughs> um, and upon walking in said toilets, there was human, I assume it was human, um, feces literally dripping down the, the walls. Um, so, yeah, that was that was probably the worst, the worst place I've ever been in my life. I did my business very quickly and gingerly and ran away from said stinking pits. Um, yeah, that was that was a, a memorable experience. The, the actual holy place, the Hindu holy place and Mauritius as a whole is a beautiful place. But um, those toilets there are not obviously very overused um, by people who go making pilgrimages to said site. And in the UK, um, I'm gonna, at risk of upsetting our old friend, good old John Watson. Uh, Sunderland would certainly be up there. Darlington, where I did a lot of my training, um, would be up there too. Although I've got a, a, quite a fondness for Darlington. Famously, uh, as a student on a night out there with the journalism students, we um, we witnessed a pub being firebombed, uh, and then actually went into into the pub. <laughs> the uh, the exuberance of youth, um, and probably Middlesbrough as well. That would be up there had a few trips to Middlesbrough Crown Court as a trainee journalist uh, and did a bit of trekking around the town. Um, not not a not a place for me. Hutchie, how about you? You've travelled, boy. Where's the worst let me place? stop. Let me stop you there. Middlesbrough is a yeah. hole. Yeah, but but it's charming. A charming I, hole. I I have spent a lot of time in Middlesbrough. My wife used to live there. Yeah. Um, there's a charm. There's a charm there. I don't think you got to experience the full charm of it. I was basically um, um, at Crown Court and, and in a couple of what I only describe as very dodgy pubs uh, while we were there. Um, so, yeah, maybe I didn't get the full flavour. I did, however, see Emerson, Middlesbrough star at the time, with a wonderful Jerry Curl haircut um, in one of the uh, the shopping centres there. So, mate, it wasn't all bad. So, there you go. Yeah. Well, how about you then? Luton. Luton. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically, 641 Dunstable Road in Luton, which is a travel lodge hotel. Yeah. I've, I stayed in that. I cannot remember what I was covering, but this was during the Swindon days. I was somewhere and that was on the way back from something um, that I stayed in. Uh, gun, gunshots going off. Um, nice. it, was like, it was like I was in Baltimore. Uh, I think the, the bathroom door was hanging off in the hotel room. Um, sirens all night. Not not great. Luton. Luton. Stewie? Worst place. Um, I think most underwhelming was when I went hiked to the top of Mount Vesuvius, uh, expecting bubbling lava naively and to be all uh all exciting and it was just just dry and dusty i wouldn't say it's not worst but that was underwhelming that's a good question uh, for future future questions though i like that underwhelming most that, underwhelming place yeah take that one off um i remember walking around gillingham town center getting to the game very early once and just feeling thoroughly depressed on a gray miserable day but i, I imagine that's probably the vibe of of many a sort of an, an English town centre of a similar ilk. Um, and on Andy's hotel tip, where did we stay? Where was the most recent overnight uh, stop we stayed? I'm trying yeah, to that, think where that, that was. Blackpool, that was, wasn't it? Was it Blackpool? Uh, I think there's one since then. Uh, was that halfway back from Plymouth? Yeah, we stayed somewhere. yeah, that was it. We were at Bridgewater on the M5. Yeah, that was that was not a good hotel experience. There were some, let's just say, the uh, the bathroom facilities were not left in the best of states, and there were some questionable stains on the curtains. Nice. We. Uh, That's all I've got for you on the subject of of that as well. I mean, mine is obviously mostly seems to be bathroom and feces based. But when we st- when we stayed in Venice, um, there was a unbeknownst to us, the room we stayed in at the hotel, very nice hotel. Um, there was a problem with the toilet. And so we'd had a lovely first day in Venice. We were uh, sipping Prosecco and eating Parmesan hunks on the bed while, while listening to uh, the music that was drifting in through the window from, uh, from the canals, the gondoliers. Um, and then suddenly our bathroom was flooded and there were literally bits of poo 
floating around our bathroom. It was a horrendous experience. Um, <laughs> and we, we had to, we had to a try and mop up said dirty water at the same time while liaising with the, uh, the, the front desk of the hotel who accused us of blocking the toilet. Um, How dare they? Allegations, which proved to be false. Let me tell you the next day when they, uh, when they got the plumber in, um so yeah that was that was another how, how did they prove this was there sort of well because they got the, they got... to get forensics in <laughs> yeah, dna no. sent got... away for analysis oh yeah we've we've tested it you're right it, it isn't your poo you're in the clear <laughs> no they 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 accused us of, of throwing something down the toilet which would block it not ah. not, not not solids or, or tissue something um extraordinary which would have blocked it uh, and i was readying for a big argument with them um but thankfully as I say, when the plumber came in, they said, "Now nah, there's nothing down there apart from what you'd expect." Um, it's not their fault, Gov. And we were we were we were treated very differently afterwards, and given exonerated, um, exonerated, yeah, uh, and given various treats, um, which was nice. <laughs> um, Roscoe, worst place you've ever been? Oh, where do I start? Jesus Christ! Um, oh, I, I haven't got the luxury of you know your travelling. CV, not yet, and all that. Not yet, not yet. Not yet. Still, still early days. Still yeah. early days. Um, I'm going to stick to the UK because I think most places I've gone in Europe and I've been to Canada once, so that was that was nice. But there was no shitholes or anything like that. In the UK, there's there's a lot. There's a lot. You know, yeah. post home, Fetford, Great Yarmouth, <laughs> Fetford. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. It's not. It's not great, really. Dis. Uh, You're dissing this. Yeah, pretty much. Skegness is a bit of a yeah of a hole as well went there once at butlands the family um, right. when i was younger i just remember yeah my mum saying it wasn't a nice place um butlands butlands was all right you know standard <laughs> holiday um grinsby in the grinsby once wow you've got a lot um and then hackney marshes i went to um cover a women's game once in the fa cup and they lost on penalties against the team like three divisions below them and that was a a terrible day out with um good old kieran stanley um we always love good old kieran <laughs> good old yeah. kieran yeah yeah but yeah there's a, there's a few more but i won't go any more further there you go then uh we, we've covered quite a lot of ground there apologies to those who are listening while eating uh with my feces based chat but um <laughs> hopefully i didn't put you off too much boys from feces based chat to a trip to hull city tomorrow night one of the uh the segues i'm most proud of i would say um hull city tomorrow uh they are now third boys they have been struggling a little bit recently they um I think they were 3-1 up at the weekend, weren't they? Ended up drawing 3 all. They have been stumbling a little bit. Can we go to Hull? Clearly, town have not beaten anyone in the in the top seven. Um, can we go yeah, to Hull? Yeah, they have. Yeah, they have. What? They've beaten Accrington. Oh, yeah. But you know what I mean. When they were in the top... When they played them, they weren't in the top seven, were they? Um, so, yes, Accrington are technically now in the top seven. But can we go to Hull with any sort of confidence? Stuart Watson. Um... Hull strike me as a bit like Ipswich last season that came down with a real stinking relegation hangover, blew that away quite quickly, but now a few doubts are starting to creep in a little bit. Their form hasn't kind of fallen away as dramatically as Ipswich's did last season, um, I hasten to add, but it's still one win in their last six across all competitions. They've gone out of the uh, the Papa John's, they've slipped out of the, the top two. Um Crucially, in their game at the weekend, they've picked up another couple of massive injuries for them. They've already had their captain, Richie Smallwood, outside lined in the last few games, which has been a big miss. George Honeyman got stretched off um, towards the end of the game after a nasty collision. He's got 10 assists this season, and I thought he was probably their best player in the 3-0 defeat at Portman Road earlier this season. And Greg Doherty went off as well, who's another key player for them. So that's their three sort of first choice central midfielders all out. So all of those things I've just discussed would suggest that this might not be a bad time to go up there and play them. But then I go back to the goals chat that Andy touched upon earlier. Hull have scored 49 goals in the league this season. Um, I think only Brentford in the entire football league have scored more than that in, in the league. They put five past Wigan. Last week, they've scored four against Portsmouth, three against Accrington. So they, they've had games where when it clicks up front, they score goals. They've got, Andy's talked about, Wilkes has got plenty of goals. McGuinness has got a few goals. Um, Potter Lewis has, has got goals from the left side of that, that front three. And by comparison, 
Ipswich just don't score enough goals. I think only I think five teams have got a worse kind of goals per game record than Ipswich, and they're all, as you would imagine, the teams right at the, the bottom end of the table. So that's that's what gives me the serious doubts going into this game, coupled with Ipswich's record, as we know, against the uh, the better sides in the division. Another defeat then, Hutchie? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to look beyond it, isn't it? If Flynn Downs wasn't suspended, you'd you'd maybe back Ipswich to to get on top of that midfield battle. Um, he's the kind of player that you need to get to win those to win those overall battles in midfield. Um, I do. I do think if the pairing of Wilson and Nciala are good to go again, which I'm sure they will do, they'll be better equipped to look after McGuinness, who who I think it was Wolfenden and McGuinness who who were playing for Ipswich when Hull came down here in November. Um, they didn't handle him particularly well at all. He, he's physical. He, his movement's clever. I think that that Ipswich Town pairing could handle handle him a bit better. But it's, uh, it's, I agree with Stu. It's, it's all about goals. They've scored, they've scored two uh, eight in their last two games. You have to go back through Ipswich's last ten to find eight goals. It's just the the, the sums just don't add up with this Ipswich with this Ipswich team sadly in terms of their goal scoring ability and it's been that way it's been that way all season um, and it's ultimately the thing that that could well cost them a real place in in the promotion race so I'm I think they I think Ipswich could take something from this game but I'm certainly not sitting here feeling confident they'll go and win okay give me a prediction one one. 1-1. One, one. I think when I've asked you yeah. for predictions, that would be the score that you most often say. Pretty much. 1-1 one, one, one is always the shortest. I think it's the, always the shortest odds in kind of betting. Yeah. It must so be you, one of the most common results. I just I just go with the common denominator. Statistically speaking, that's what Hutchie's going for. Roscoe, Rostradamus of old, used to nail these every week. What are you saying result uh, prediction-wise? Um, I've just looked back at the last few times we played Hull and um, well we haven't actually beat Hull since 2007 or 8 so it's been a while I know they've been playing and they've had times in the Premier League and stuff but we haven't won in 14 games against Hull so it's not good record going into that and I don't feel like we're going to win either I know Stu and Andy mentioned injuries and stuff like that but about goals I can't see us outscoring Hull um, and I can't see us not keeping clean sheet. Um, so, 2-0 defeat. 2-0 defeats. So we've got 1-1, one, 2-0 one, defeat. Stewie, what are you saying? 2-1 Hull. 2-1 Hull. We shall see. Boys, are you looking forward to uh, another overnight stay? A little uh, romantic getaway to Hull? Uh, sure am. <laughs> <laughs> Ro- roman- romantic is definitely the word Yeah, I would I would use to describe the Premier Inn on the M62. So, uh, yes, hopefully the curtains and the toilet are up to scratch for Stu's exceptionally high standards. I, w- I wouldn't have complained about that, but he, he, you know, he's just, oh, the toilet should be clean. I don't yeah. want stay. I don't want stains on my curtains. Come, come on, man. This is the Born, real. This is the real world. Born with a silver spoon, Stu, wasn't he? We all know he could have gone to a posh school, and he used to play knockdown ginger. He's he's a he's a secret toffer boy. Uh, um, and now he's turning his nose up at excrement smeared around his toilet bowl. <laughs> Who does he think he is? He's forgotten his roots. <laughs> Boys, um, that brings us to the end of uh, of the podcast again. Excellent to be able to chat. Uh, hopefully, twice this week. Certainly, the first time we've been able to talk on a Monday for a while. Um, what have you got planned for the rest of the week, boys? You got anything anything big coming up, Stu? Are you looking forward to schools reopening on March the eighth? Oh yes, 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 yes. If that's is that is that confirmed yet? Yeah, pretty much confirmed. It's been briefed. Mm. That's what's going to happen. I, I don't want to get my hopes up on that until it's until it's fact. Who would have thought, eh? Parents having to look after their own kids—that's school's job. Get them back to the schools. No other business. <laughs> no other business. Watto, other than schools reopening, you got anything else going on in your life? Just going to Hull and that. Uh, Hull of a journey. Hull of a trip. Safe travels, boys. Roscoe, have you got anything to say? Um, I've got another delivery from from Adam, the chef. Ah, um, yes. It's a meal, it's a meal. So I've got a chicken katsu sausage ragu. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into that. Probably eat one of them on Tuesday while watching the whole game. I'm comfortable my own home. I'm sorry, lads. 
living Enjoy. The living the dream okay there you go then that's been a, a, the first monday podcast we've been able to do for a while hopefully you've enjoyed it if you have please leave us a five-star review on itunes not a two-star review calling the show the watson and warren show that's not what we want um but anyway any kind of five-star review you can leave us would be greatly appreciated and follow us across all the social medias kings of anger on youtube facebook instagram and twitter and also hit subscribe uh, if you're not already to the podcast and tell your friends about it um follow the trip to hull tomorrow with the boys who knows town could surprise us we never know a result could be incoming and what a fantastic news that would be what a boost that would be for the boys as they 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 uh tuck each other in at the travel lodge in hull tomorrow night <laughs> uh excellent uh have a have a good start to the week everyone enjoy the game um thanks for listening to the watson and warren show and we'll talk to you again later this week to football, Brexit to Oakville. For more great podcasts from Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon. Archon, head to audioboom.com slash channel slash Archon.